We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Uh, who has heard the phrase before, uh, he started it or perhaps she started it? Uh, if you're a parent, a teacher, an auntie, an uncle, uh, or even, you know, an adult still in the process of maturing yourself. Maybe you've even said these things. He started it. She started it. And what we mean by that is, well, it's not my responsibility. Yes, I'm yelling and screaming and punching and fighting, but, but he started it, so it's his responsibility. She said something mean first, so this whole situation is her responsibility. Uh, and so in Philippians uh, one six, Paul essentially says something of God. Now, when we're saying he started it or she started it, we're trying to absolve ourselves of responsibility. But Paul, in a sense here, is saying to the Philippian church, not that we don't participate with God, but, but he started it, so it's his responsibility. Uh, this morning, I really just want to zero in. I'm going to fly around a few different places, but I really want to zero in on that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, and so you can highlight that, you can underline it, you can wear a track around that this morning uh, with your pen if you're that kind of Bible reader. I am, I you know, end up with so much scribble, I wear through the pages in certain sections. Um, and so Paul says of God that he started it. He prays for the church in Philippi, he's thankful for them, and then he says in verse 6 that he's confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion sorry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus he's saying he started a good work in you and that's where his confidence lies that god started something good in the church in philippi his confidence for us to this day is that god started something good in us his confidence isn't placed in the capacity of him as an apostle to the church. His confidence is not placed in the church's own abilities, its gifts, its strengths, its weaknesses. His confidence is placed in God because God started it. And you might be thinking this morning, well, I'm not sure that God started anything good in me. If you're hearing God's words this morning, if you're in any way connected to this, God has already started something good in you, probably some time ago. Not because you're hearing my words, but if you're interacting with God's word in any way, shape or form, that's no accident. God has begun something good in you. God has plans and purposes for you. And so because God started that good work in you, in us together, through us and all around us, because God started it, it belongs to him. It's his responsibility. He started it. This goes to all of creation. We probably don't need this reminder, but the very first line of the scriptures is Genesis 1.1, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He started it. It's his responsibility. In moments like this, we might phrase it this way. It's his problem. You started this, God. It's your problem. It belongs to him. In Mark chapter 4, we read this story of a, of a boat journey that Jesus started with his disciples. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, 
It says, when that evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And so Jesus, with his disciples, began a boat journey. This was his idea. He set out the means of travel. He set out the course where they were going. He started it. Then in verse 37, it says, A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, Now, the reason I mention that story is because I want to say, if Jesus starts a boat journey, we don't need to fear the storm along the way. If Jesus starts a boat journey, we don't need to fear the storm along the way. If God has begun a good work in you, you don't need to fear the hiccups, the interruptions, the setbacks along the way. It's often preached about this passage of the line, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And, and how faith was meant to be manifest in the disciples. There's lots of different things that have been suggested. We're often a little bit harsh on them with 2,000 years of perspective to look at. But I just kind of think, well, at least they woke him up. At least they went to Jesus. And so if God started a good work in you, it's his responsibility. We have a a knack as humans to to want to take things back and and work at them with ourselves. But I want to remind us this morning, if God started a good work in you, it's his responsibility. If God placed plans and visions and dreams that we know for, uh, from Him for our lives upon our, uh, our plate, then they're His responsibility. We don't need to fear. Because Paul goes on to say in that verse, Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you, He started it, and He's confident that He'll bring it, that He'll carry it on to completion. And so God started it, whatever it is in you, and and we're talking big picture your whole life here, and we're talking the the visions, the dreams, the, the purposes that God has planned for your life. If he started it, he'll carry it to completion. But somewhere along the way, we start trying to carry it. We start trying to bail water out of the boat as if it all depends on us that Jesus set off on this boat journey this vision this mission whatever it is and that we start bailing water as if if we don't bail it fast enough then Jesus plans for our life are going to sink or he might set us out on a different plan a different purpose to to a to a boat journey but we have this kind of desire 
to be the centre of our own stories and so we start to think that everything then depends upon us. But the reality of the situation is, is that if we have to carry it, what we've made is actually an idol. If you have to carry it, what you've made is an idol. Even if the thing you're trying to carry is God's work, in a sense. Even if the thing you're trying to carry is the church or a ministry or or something that God has given you so clearly as your purpose and calling in life, if you are trying to carry it, then what we've done is we've made an idol of it. I, I love Isaiah chapter 46. It's one of, you know... I say this of so many pieces of scripture, but it's one of my favourite passages of scripture. Um, in verse uh, one to four, and the whole whole chapter is fantastic. But in verse one to four, uh, the prophet God is speaking through the prophet, and he's talking about um, the difference between an idol that we have to carry. And, and how God relates to us in that space. And, and so uh, some of the ancient Babylonian gods, one was named Baal and one was named Nebo. And so they would make idols, statues of these gods. And so the, the prophet is speaking uh, of the coming destruction of Babylon and what's going to happen to these gods. And so in uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 1, he says, Bell down, bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome and a burden to the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. And so what God is saying through the prophet is, is that these idols, when the day of destruction comes, when the day of trial comes, when trouble comes, they're not going to save a single thing. In fact, they're the things that we have to save. They're the things that we have to carry and we have to take up space on the pack horses that we're escaping with. The, the escape car gets filled up with junk and idols that we're trying to rescue. And that gives us a picture of, of, of what it looks like when we're trying to carry stuff. If we're trying to rescue things from the day of destruction, from the trial, from the hiccup, then perhaps it's something that we've made an idol of. The prophet goes on speaking the words of God to his people in verse 3 and says, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob and all the remnants of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. And so God through the prophet faces these polar opposites of what it means to be in relationship with an idol. You have to carry it. You have to rescue it. But to be in relationship with God is that he is the one that carries you. He is the one that sustains you. He is the one that rescues you. He is the one that delivers you. It's the difference between being carried and having to carry something this is not talking i'm not talking about being passive i'm not saying well if we just sit on the couch and watch netflix 24 7 then god's going to sort it out i'm not saying that we just do nothing we are partners in his purpose for our life 
It's a shift from, from carrying it in our own strength to, to seeking to model, to, to live out what Jesus modeled for us, which is just doing what we see the Father doing. To not fret about having to do all of the things that we see that we think are undone or that we need to do to prop it up, but simply just doing what we see the Father doing. Because if he started it, if he started all of it, creation, if he started you, if he knit you together in your mother's womb, if he started the plans and purposes for your life, if he started the ministry, the mission, be that, and I don't just mean church stuff, I mean his ministry for you, his mission for you in whatever way he's called you to live that out in this world. If he started it, then yes, we partner with him. Yes, we, we do the things that he leads us in, but, but we're not the ones carrying it. He will be faithful to carry it. Later on in this chapter, in verse 10, that's Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, God says through the prophet to his people, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. This is... Uh, what the Apostle Paul is echoing in Philippians 1.6 when he says he who started it will carry it to completion. God is faithful to bring what he starts to completion. He leaves no unfinished jobs. I don't know about you, but, but I sometimes leave unfinished jobs. Um, I painted our lounge room some time ago and there's still you know, one side of a door that needs to be done. It's kind of 90% done, but it's not completely done eventually I just put the door back on because I'll get back to that later and I still haven't got back to that later but God is not like that God doesn't give up at 10 percent God doesn't give up at 20 percent he doesn't give up at 50 percent he doesn't leave it half finished and he doesn't give it up even at 80 percent because that's that's for me that's where I kind of lose momentum is when something's almost done I'll, I'll come back to that later some of us might be the opposite, but God is not like that. He finishes what he starts. He keeps carrying it on until the day of completion. And so we can be confident, just like Paul was confident, we can be confident this morning that what he started in you, he will bring to completion. What he started in us together as a church, he will bring to completion. We can trust him to carry it. We simply need to partner with him to participate in what he is doing. He started it. He will carry it on to completion. And when we trust in him, actually obstacles bring advancement, not setback. Obstacles bring advancement, not setback. And so we might think of Paul as a great missionary whose work was unfinished because of his arrest and execution. That's one way of looking at the Apostle Paul. If you don't know the story of his life, he was an extremely successful missionary. There was hiccups along the way. Ultimately, he was arrested. Uh, he got, you know, spent kind of the last years of his life been kind of shipped around some governors, then to Rome, was in prison in Rome for some time, and then martyred. 
And so we might look at that as a great lost opportunity. We might look at Paul's chains as a, as a great setback to his previously thriving missionary work. We might lament the obstacle. But that's not the perspective that Paul had. In fact, this is a great reason that motivated Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. That they would know that his chains are not a setback, but an advancement for the gospel. In verses 12 to 15, just jumping down that chapter a little bit, he says to the church at Philippi, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See, they were thinking, like we would think naturally, oh, if Paul wasn't arrested, just think of the ministry he could have achieved. But Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so what God started in Paul was a mission to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so his chains have not hindered but have advanced that mission. To advance the gospel. It meant that the gospel was now being proclaimed to the palace guard. He's referring to Caesar's palace. Because of Paul's change, the gospel is now being proclaimed and demonstrated in Paul's time in a place that he could not have ever imagined going up to knock on the door and saying, Excuse me, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior? The gospel was advanced because the chains that he bore for Jesus. But not only that, the the chains and the way that he demonstrated living out the gospel in chains had served to embolden the rest of the followers of Jesus to proclaim the gospel. It expanded the mission beyond Paul. Because of his chains, this wasn't just about one lone man, and it was never about that, but, but we might think of it as that. One lone man just going around praising, proclaiming Jesus. That his chains, the restriction placed on Paul, advanced the church in their gospel communication. And so rather than a setback, rather than a hindrance, rather than a blockage to God's purpose and plans for Paul's life, his chains advanced it. When I was thinking about this, it's, it's a little bit like uh, the bears and lions that came against David when he was a shepherd. You know the story of King David? He was, a, he was the runt of his father Jesse's litter. He got sent off just to look after the, the sheep. Um, and, he, and we are told that you know, with his slingshot he had to fight off bears and lions that came against the flock. Now he may have if he kind of had the perspective that we might have at times, and even he might have at some points had this, I'm a really unlucky shepherd. Why do I have to keep off fighting off bears and lions? What are these obstacles that are coming against my purpose of shepherding? 
But if we know the story of David, we, we know that one of the pivotal moments in his life was slaying the giant Goliath on behalf of God so that he wouldn't blaspheme the name of the Lord over the people of Israel and that they would be set free, at least for a season, from the Philistines. See, what could have been perceived as an obstacle and coming against David's purpose was the very thing that prepared him for his purpose. And we could say even that of, of, of attacking, of, of, sorry, of fighting Goliath itself, it, it may have seemed like an obstacle. It may have seemed like an obstacle to Israel and to David himself, but it, but it was the thing that propelled him onto the momentum, in the natural at least, because he'd already been anointed, but the momentum towards being the king of Israel. The things that come against are used by God to bring advancement for our purpose, for his calling over us not to hinder. I don't know, you and it's probably because I'm the pastor, I, I think a lot about the, the impact that COVID and the restrictions and all of that has had on us as a church and, uh, and uh, I find it hard not to lament kind of the gap between where I felt like we were and the momentum that we had and where we are now and don't feel like I'm slamming, thank you for being here this morning and being a part of the church and online. I'm not, I'm not negative on that, but I find it hard not to lament the gap and think, oh, we've only not. And, and I don't know all the ways that, that God is using it, but I, I often think, if not for COVID, but, but Paul reminds us that the obstacles... What we see as obstacles, what, what we see as constraints, of, of chains, of things that are getting in the way of what God began in us and is carrying us. We don't always understand how he's using it. It's not always like the story of David where we go, wow, he, he had to slay bears and lions so he could slay D Goliath and he had to slay Goliath so that he would be propelled onto the, you know, the, the stage of Israel to ultimately become their king. We don't always get to see that line up in our life like that. But we can trust for our church, for our lives, for his calling, for his purpose, that, that the things that seem like such undermining, insurmountable obstacles perhaps are the very thing that God is using to advance his calling and purpose in our lives. What would it look like for us to shift our perspective in that way? What would it look like for your life to trust and believe that the obstacles that you see are bringing advancement for God's purposes in your life? What would it look like to think about how they're shaping and moulding us for what is to come? What would it look like to have our eyes open to the new opportunities that obstacles present? like chains placing us in Caesar's household to proclaim the gospel? What would it look like for that roadblock to be perceived as an opportunity to expand the mission God's given us beyond ourselves? What would it look like to trust and believe simply that even though we can't see how that could possibly be true, that if we trust in him, then obstacles can only equal advancement. That he would bring all things 
to work together for the good of those that love him. And so he started it. He will carry it. And even when we see obstacles and chains or, or, or hiccups or COVIDs or, or loss of momentum or you know, different things, that the way we have to do stuff, we have to wear masks. How do you serve food and coffee if everyone's wearing masks and things like that, to use the example that Dan raised this morning in his testimony. Like, we can see them not as obstacles but advancements. Yes, they might mean some steps back. I'm not saying that life with God is always up and to the right. But we can trust that he'll continue to carry it through that. And Paul says, to go back to Philippians 1.6, he says, we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we can take confidence that he is not going to stop until the day that all things are complete. That this return of Jesus that we hope for is the day where all things find their completion, their fullness, their consummation. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't mark, but find it quickly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says, For now, he's talking about this season, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so we look forward to that day where everything is complete, but we can trust until then that God is not going to stop working in us with what he started to bring it to completion. We can't see all the ways that he's doing that now. We can't see all the ways that he's working through, through present circumstances, through obstacles. We can't see all that now, but, but we only know in part now but then we will know in full. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on the finish line of eternity. My job as a pastor, in many senses, there's longer time frames that happen, but in many senses, there's a weekly kind of repeat. So I can get drawn onto fixing my eyes on the finish line of Sunday morning. I like to try and fix my eyes on the finish line of Friday afternoon, so I can have Sunday, uh, Saturday free of working for it. But we get locked into that. Other of us might have a daily finish line. We're just trying to get through to the end of today or the end of this week. Or, or we might have our eyes fixed on the finish line of when COVID is finally over or when that project is finished. There's all kinds of finish lines that we tend to fix our eyes on, but, but Paul would remind us to fix our eyes on the finish line of the day of Christ Jesus. Not that other routines are to be thrown completely out the window, but, but that ultimately we're not fixed on any of those things, that our life is lived towards that day until the day of Christ Jesus. But it also reminds us that he's working to his timeline, not ours. I'm often in a hurry to get to where I think I should be in life by now. Am I the only one? I tend to be impatient. And so maybe you're like me, you're not yet where you thought you might be by now. 
Or you might have been there and feel like, oh, then I've taken a few backward steps. And maybe this is about your mission, maybe this is about your purpose, or, or maybe it's about that thing that we theologically refer to as sanctification, that, that becoming more like Christ. Maybe you're like, I thought I would have been past that temptation by now. I, I thought I'd be uh, free from that brokenness by now. I thought I'd be healed from that illness by now. I thought I'd be uh, healed from that mental pathway that was shaped by a childhood. Uh, maybe there's a whole bunch of things where you, where you kind of thought, oh, I thought... I thought we'd be past that by now. And so this line, until the day of Christ Jesus, reminds us that, that God has his own timeline. And so we fix our eyes on eternity, but, but we trust in his timing. So David waited over 20 years between his anointing and his being crowned king. And very early in that 20 years was when he, he took out Goliath. And you know, God describes him as a man after God's own heart and so, so maybe he had a better perspective on God's timeline than, than I give him credit for. But, but I, would have, I think that he probably thought, I'm on the rise. You know, I've been anointed. Soon after, I've knocked out a giant. Soon after that, songs were been written about him that, you know, yes, Saul slayed a few thousand, but David's knocking off ten thousands of Philistines. I thought... I imagine he probably thought, yep, this is all coming together nicely. I will soon be king. But there was about 22 years between a boy being anointed and a man becoming king. God's got his own timeline. But God was faithful to his purpose. God was faithful to his purpose to put him on the throne. He started it and he saw it to completion. He never stopped carrying it. That wasn't a wasted 20 years. That was the 20 years of preparation, of shaping not just David but the circumstances so that he would be the king for such a time as this, to borrow a phrase from elsewhere in Scripture. I don't know if it's been a week, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years that you've been waiting on God for something. But that's not wasted time. That's time that God's been carrying what he started all along. His timing is always perfect. He is never late. Sometimes it feels it. It's sometimes harder to trust for our own story than to read it in the stories of the scripture. But there's great blessing when we wait on the Lord to jump back to Psalm 27 that we worshipped with this morning. David uses the same word, not really. He wrote Hebrew, Paul wrote Greek, but we translate it to the same word, confident. David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so to be confident in him, 
to be confident that he started it, that he will carry it, that he will turn obstacles into advancement. Often being confident in him means we wait patiently. We wait for his timing. It often means just because we don't see it, just because we don't see how all of the things are coming together, that they're actually God's working for our purpose, for his calling on our life, it doesn't mean that he stopped carrying it. He's working all things together for the good of those that love him. So I might get Eliza to come up and play something, even though we can't sing. And so church, this morning... I want to say over all of us, um, I'm confident of this. Sometimes I feel confident and sometimes that's a statement of faith. (laughs) But I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started it. He will carry it and you. He'll turn obstacles into advancement until the day of his return. There'll be seasons where he calls us into action and there'll be seasons where we simply just wait. So I'm going to pray now and and I'll allow Eliza to play for a moment as we just reflect on that, as we pray our own prayers, as we submit our own obstacles and frustrations to him as we invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring confidence. So we just declare those words this morning over ourselves, trusting that they are true of you, Father. We are confident of this. You began a good work in us. Again, a good work in each of us as individuals. We trust from the scriptures that that good work began even before the moment of our birth. We're confident that you began a good work in this church even before many of us came to call this church our own. confident that you've started something good, Lord. And we're also confident that you will carry it. And so in that confidence, Lord, give us the peace to let go, to let you carry it. the boldness to lay down the idols the things that we are trying to make happen and to simply trust in you give us the confidence Father that we will be able to fix our eyes on eternity and trust you with the now Help us, Father, come what may, to be confident and assured in you. In 
Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.